0: Hi, and welcome to BJGP interviews. I'm Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. We're gonna to turn today to a paper looking at symptoms and diagnoses in patients with breathlessness. And we're going to speak to Julian Doe and Rachel Evans, who were both based at the University of Leicester about the study they have recently published here in the BJGP, titled Diagnostic Delays for Breathlessness in Primary Care, a qualitative study to investigate current care and inform future pathways. So thanks, Jillian and Rachel, for joining me here today. You discuss in the introduction to this study the distress that people with chronic breathlessness face and some of the background causes of breathlessness, along with the difficulties that some patients and indeed doctors face in getting a diagnosis to explain these symptoms. Tell us a bit about what you set out to do in this research.
1: So we know um, through previous research, there's quite a lot of evidence that there are delays to diagnosis for patients with breathlessness. Um, And that the diagnosis for breathlessness is often arranged in sort of disease specific manner, which is, you know, entirely acceptable and appropriate in in lots of ways, but that actually possibly that the symptom based pathway may be a, an effective approach to take, um, but that that needs to be investigated and actually to so really we wanted to understand what does current usual care look like for patients when they present with breathlessness in primary care, so to understand about their experiences and what that sort of journey to diagnosis. Is like, and then also what that's like for clinicians managing that pathway as well.
0: And as you mentioned, because we conceptualize possibly symptoms in disease specific frameworks, that can be a challenging shift for clinicians.
2: That's right, that right from medical school, people are taught about diseases. And as Jill was highlighting, our guidelines are, you know, here's how to manage COPD, here's how to diagnose asthma, here's how to diagnose ischemic heart disease, heart failure, rather than when somebody comes with a symptom, having a clear framework to work through. And I suppose that's really what we wanted to understand was what what do clinicians, you know, what how what is their approach to lead us to? Well, is there something that we could intervene with? as I mentioned, breathlessness is often a very distressing symptom for patients. So
0: it's important to think about how to manage that in the interim, I suppose.
2: Absolutely.
0: So this was a qualitative interview study um, involving 34 patients and 10 clinicians embedded in a trial. And the results coming out of the qualitative analysis relate to the patient and clinician journey. And there was one theme that discussed communication um, I wonder if you could just talk me through the main results here. Sure. So through the qualitative
1: analysis, we identified five sort of key themes that were coming out from the patient data and the clinician data. Um, and they sort of chronologically follow um, the the process of diagnosis. So, you know, we've got this recognising and validating the symptom and that's from both aspects. So, from patients acting early enough to seek help for their breathlessness and to recognise that it's a problem and then actually how that gets validated by the GPs and the clinicians. So, um, how they take that forward, what investigations they might do. And then that sort of took us on to the it's really complex the clinical decision making for breathlessness because we have lots of different guidelines that are available that are appropriate. We might go down one route that because of so the clinical history it indicates heart failure, but then actually we might get so far down that route that we need to go back again. So we, you know, the clinician data certainly suggested that it is complex with breathlessness, and we need to think about things also that are not just disease specific in nature. So what elements of anxiety or deconditioning or lifestyle that might also be contributing or maybe the underlying cause if other things have been ruled out. There was also, that sort of led on to very difficult conversations, which is the third theme that we identified. If a disease-related label was not identified or arrived at, how did that uh, conversation progress? So if things had been ruled out, did they then arrive at what we call a positive diagnosis to say your breathlessness is probably being caused by deconditioning and these are the things that might help. The, the last thing in, in the sort of order of the pathway was that disease management as opposed to symptom management was prioritized which again is absolutely um, appropriate and that all underlying causes of the breathlessness we would want to be managed and but that from the point of presentation the thing that was missing was probably offering some symptom relief so actually in that meantime during this journey of getting a diagnosis what might help with the breathlessness And then you mentioned now that this communication was key. So the fifth theme that we identified was sort of a cross-cutting theme, really. It ran throughout all of the interviews, that the communication style of the clinician and how information was delivered and at, at what point it was delivered, perhaps, really affected the patient experiences.
0: And in terms of these difficult conversations about what happens when a diagnosis or a disease can't be identified... Did the patients and clinicians discuss how that felt for them and how they managed that uncertainty at all?
1: Yeah. So, um, patients in particular talked about um, if if they'd had tests that had come back normal, um, but then not necessarily knowing what the next step was, um, and and how that was quite difficult. Um, but then clinicians really talked about struggling with a diagnosis of exclusion as well, and how that might be a trigger for them to consider onward referral. Um, And there's a couple of quotes around that in the paper, um, where they might have thought, well, actually, I I need a little bit more specialist input, because I'm not sure that I'm confident to say, I think it's because of deconditioning, or I think it's because of obesity. Mm
0: -hmm. And one thing that we've discussed a bit is that whilst awaiting test results or referrals clinicians can and should offer breathlessness relief strategies do you have a sense either of you from this research or your previous research in this area how well this is offered to patients if at all in primary care So
1: certainly the data from this study suggests that for clinicians, it's something they would start to think about once they've arrived at a diagnosis. And there were a few quotes around that sort of um, once we've got a disease diagnosis, we might think about management. And also um, some really honest admissions about not being sure about sort of breathlessness exercises or other types of management that might be available so that they might typically think about would an inhaler help or what medication the patient might need to be on. We sort of um, draw some comparisons with with pain, with chronic pain in the paper, because the, 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 the complexities of breathlessness can be similar in terms of how patients present and it's very multifaceted with breathlessness, how it makes somebody feel and how they describe their breathlessness is quite subjective. Um, and if somebody presented with pain, certainly you would want to find out what was causing it. But You would want to offer some symptom relief quite quickly.
2: Getting the diagnosis early is important, but it isn't the be end and end. It is not the only thing we should be looking at. So, what we're trying to highlight, or what the data is highlighted, is absolutely there's this clinician pathway to desperately try and get the diagnosis. Patients having their prolonged symptoms, and we we're advocating, and the data backs us up to be doing both at the same time. And um, to make sure that the person actually knows that's what's happening, I'm still trying, you know, as the clinician, let them know, I'm still trying to find what's causing this. But in the interim, try X, Y, and Z to actually help the, the, the symptom itself. I think it's really interesting using a comparison
0: of pain. And that sort of framework does make a lot of sense in terms of symptom relief. And involving other specialties, as you mentioned, such as palliative care for their input. Um, do you have any suggestions for GPs about the kinds of strategies that they can use in terms of breathlessness relief strategies, um, aside from thinking outside of the disease-specific models? So, for instance, you know, offering an inhaler for asthma or offering furosemide for uh, fluid overload.
1: Yeah, so some of the um, things around breathlessness management, so if we're thinking about breathlessness as a therapeutic target, as well as whatever the underlying condition might be, um, things that we know can help are different breathing exercises, and there's something called the breathing thinking functioning model um, that's been developed by the Cambridge Breathlessness Service that looks at addressing the different aspects of breathlessness uh, that might be driving that breathlessness so is it about their breathing pattern and and the underlying anxieties or worries that they might have about that is it about their their fitness and their deconditioning and, and what might we might be able to do about that so thinking like rachel said about the other underlying drivers band therapy is something that is also advocated sometimes with breathlessness which helps with patients with the flow of air around their face and um, so there are things out there almost like a toolbox of, of non-pharmacological uh, things that we could consider um that different patients might find uh, work for them
2: yeah and it's, um, around su- supporting their self-management with the, the symptom. And although breathlessness can often feel very scary, it's it's often not dangerous in itself rather than say uh, ischemic chest pain where you should stop straight away and seek medical attention if it's not going away. So actually just helping people understand those causes and as Jill says through that uh, breathing thinking functioning model can help with that. And part of what
0: you've highlighted here in the study are some of the factors about reasons for delays to diagnosis including poor symptom recognition and delayed help seeking. And reading the paper reminds me a lot of research around diagnostic delays in other fields, including cancer. And I wonder if you've reflected back on how this model of um, diagnostic delays might be replicated in other fields as well.
1: Yeah, I think we hear a lot in all sorts of different diseases about people normalising things or putting things off um so i you know for breathlessness they might say oh i thought it was because i was getting older and and i just i thought this was normal and i've gradually slowed down so i think with breathlessness it's really that where it's a gradual onset and sometimes you have to be prompted by somebody else which which is one of the things that we showed in our data um which I guess would depend on the symptom in other diseases, wouldn't it? If it's something that other people notice, it's easier for someone to say, actually, you're so breathless going up that hill. I really think you should get help. And sometimes it's, it's you know, your family or your friends or carers that that might notice that first. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely think the normalizing and delayed help seeking is a is a common theme and, and for breathlessness the evidence um, in the past has been with patients with COPD and heart failure but I guess what we've shown is actually for this group of patients that are just at the first point of seeking help so they could go on to have any underlying cause it's really across the board.
0: Okay um, any other key findings that either of you would like to highlight from this research? If we ask about the symptom and
1: we ask early and we, we look to recognise and validate that and then act by taking um, sort of a, a timely approach with investigations and perhaps not going down this incremental route. Um, and then advise about what Rachel said earlier about what the causes might be arriving at a positive diagnosis, but also advise about breathlessness relief. That that was sort of our key messages.
0: I think the paper has a lot of really key take-home messages for GPs about things that we can be doing in practice so it's quite helpful in the discussion uh summarizing those so I'd advocate for people listening to go back and read the paper and to take those messages back to their own clinics um and I think that's a great place to draw things to a close but I just wanted to finish by saying thanks very much for for joining us today thanks Thanks, thank you It's been a great discussion around thinking outside of just disease-specific models and focusing on the symptoms such as breathlessness that are affecting patients and how to try and manage these while thinking about a diagnosis and carrying out investigations. The original research article uh, for this study can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found on bjgplife.com. It's been great to speak to Jillian and Rachel, and thank you all again for listening today. Bye!